Father, here we are in your presence. We're here longing to hear your voice and no other voice. Lord, we're not worthy of that, but we plead the blood of Christ over this place. We ask that you would speak to our hearts with power. We ask that our minds would be open, that you would reveal to us the grander scheme of what is going on in this world, and that it would lead us to our knees in prayer. Father, speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the power of your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. John Knox was a fiery preacher who said, A man with God is always in the majority. A man with God is always in the majority. I'll put a little picture of a statue up there of him. He said this, and yet he himself ended up a galley slave. And I don't know if you know what that means, but he must have been questioning this statement at that moment in time as he was there rowing the oars for ships for the very people that he was seeking for God to transform in Scotland. He was a Scot, and he was preaching against the established government, which was promoting the Catholic Church. And as he preached about the Reformation, he preached about the Bible. This was in the the late 1500s. He was preaching things similar to Martin Luther and John Calvin, people that he had sat at the foot actually, of John Calvin and learned a lot from him. As he was preaching these things, he got arrested and he was put in a a galley and he was served as a slave for some time to the point that he nearly died there in his ship. Now, at that point in time, as he's there and he's a slave, you might think, where's your God now? A man with God is always in the majority. Well, how did you end up as a galley slave? This doesn't look like it's working out for you. It doesn't look like God is hearing your prayers. Is God not with you? What happened to you, John Knox? Our character in the Bible today that we're going to be looking a little more closely at might have felt the same way. You see, Daniel had been a statesman for years. Daniel had experienced the power of God in answer to prayer. Daniel had seen God shut the mouths of lions. And yet, in Daniel chapter 10, we find Daniel downtrodden and discouraged. Go with me to Daniel chapter 10. I'm not sure if we'll be able to get uh, our scriptures up on the screen this morning. We, We have a brand new computer system, which is a huge blessing but we're working out some of the kinks in the meantime. So you may have to pull out that pew Bible in front of you. Feel free to pull it out and to flip through its pages. It's a great practice to do. But go to Daniel chapter 10, where we pick up the story of what God is doing in Daniel's life. You can imagine this man who served under two different, well, I guess you would call them nations, He was a person, a statesman. He was somebody who had been elevated to second in the kingdom. He was often there closest to the king. He was a counselor of the king for Nebuchadnezzar, for Nebuchadnezzar's son. Then time and time again, you see Daniel showing up. And Daniel recognized how politics worked. Daniel recognized how kingdoms worked. It's a pretty amazing thing to think about a man who was able to be high in the kingdom of Babylon, and yet the King Cyrus comes in and 
takes over Babylon, and then the next king, Darius, who's appointed in the, in the intermediary before Cyrus becomes king, actually appoints him to be third highest in the kingdom. You think about how amazing that is for a person to serve in two regimes. I mean, Donald Trump hires everybody that was previously in government, right? I mean, between two regimes, there tends not to be a lot of friendliness, especially when you come in and you take over a city by force. And yet Daniel managed to ride through the ups and downs of that storm, and here he was in leadership there in Babylon. Well, we're picking up the story in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1 in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now this gives us a point where we can ground ourselves to understand what year this probably was. This was probably around the year 536 BC, which means the captives have already gone back to Jerusalem. They have already begun to restore the temple. They probably already laid the foundation stone and restarted the the sacrifices there in Jerusalem. We've talked about that over the past couple weeks. If you missed those messages, they're on our website. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and understood and, and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Daniel, this one who had such wisdom, this one who had such confidence, such faith in God, is in mourning. And he doesn't tell us the exact situation, but we have a good guess as to what the situation is. Because in Ezra chapter 4, we find that the Samaritans have come in and they've asked to help the Jews. And when the Jews refused, they hired counselors. Ezra 4 verse 5 says, they hired counselors to go and discourage the Jews, which probably meant that these counselors went back to Babylon and began to try to undercut what they're doing in Jerusalem. Daniel is there in government, and so Daniel sees what is happening, and he recognizes that there's a huge problem. His people have this decree from Cyrus that they can rebuild the temple, but all isn't going as expected. And here come these counselors who are seeking to convince King Cyrus that he should stop allowing the Jews to rebuild the, the city and to rebuild the temple. Daniel was mourning for three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Daniel is in angst. He's in anxiety about what is going on. He's worried about his people. Here they are, just this little group of people. Is a small group of God's people really in the majority? Or will politics, will the kingdom crush them out and stop them before they even really get going again? It's interesting that as it says, three whole weeks were fulfilled there. The idea is whole sets of seven-day weeks, meaning that the next verse likely takes place on the Sabbath. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris. Now, if you've ever read in the book of Acts, you'll find stories where believers would gather at the river outside the city. So these are Jewish 
believers who were celebrating the Sabbath, they would gather outside of their Gentile city by the river to celebrate the Sabbath. And as we read this, it could be that that is what is taking place here, is Daniel is by this river with a group of people by the great river that is Tigris. He's been praying for three whole weeks. This is a man who has seen the mouths of lions shut. This is a man who's seen visions from heaven. He's seen God do all kinds of great things. And yet, for three whole weeks, it's like God isn't answering his prayer. He's not seeing things happen in the way that he wants to see them happen. Daniel's discouraged. Daniel's in mourning. Daniel has been fasting and praying. He's denied himself of the good food, the pleasant food, the, the, the extra food. And he's only eaten the bare necessities that he needed in order to survive for three weeks. He's been fasting and praying, earnestly seeking God. So what does God do for Daniel? And at the end of this three weeks, verse 5, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. The men didn't see this vision exactly, but they felt the glory, the presence of God, and they ran away and they hid. And here is Daniel as he beholds what we know to be Jesus Himself. Because if you read in Revelation chapter 1, something fascinating happens because John the Revelator has very similar vision as he is on the Isle of Patmos. And he says that I was on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's day. He was there on the Sabbath probably similar to Daniel who's here by the river at the end of three full weeks. It's likely a Sabbath worship time taking place. And they see a vision of Jesus. But this just isn't a picture of Jesus meek and mild and lowly. I mean, look at the things that describe Jesus here. It's like Daniel can't find the words to describe the glory, the beauty of Jesus in this picture. His body was like burl. He's, he's just trying to grasp it, some beautiful metal that he could describe Jesus as. His face is like the appearance of lightning. Have you ever been in a lightning storm and see the whole sky light up with a huge lightning storm? We don't have many of them around here. His eyes like torches of fire. His, this is a picture of Jesus with all of His power, all of His might, all of His glory and strength. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color and the sound of His words like the voice of a multitude. This is a picture of Jesus that's full of power. God wants to come to Daniel and to show him, to reassure him that there is power in prayer to God. There is something takes place and Daniel can have confidence. I mean, so many of the visions that Daniel received were for the purpose of revealing to him how kingdoms would rise and fall and what would take place in the future and how things would unfold towards the end of history. But this vision is here to show Daniel the glory of the God that he serves. The confidence, the faith that he can place in Jesus himself as his Savior in the midst of a really difficult time. 
verse 8, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. You know, sometimes we, we take Jesus and we, we, He is close to us, and He is our friend, and, and pretty soon we forget that He is the awesome God of the universe. But Daniel, as he comes in contact with this vision of the power of Jesus, he's left feeling totally weak, totally frail, because he recognizes the power, the majesty, the glory of who Jesus is. God wants to reassure him in this difficult time that he can trust in a Savior, that he can trust that God is at work in the midst of this difficult time. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, my face to the ground. Verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, <coughs> excuse me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. Isn't that beautiful? The angel Gabriel shows up to Daniel and touches him and says, you are a man greatly beloved. Friend, God greatly beloves you. He wants for you to know that Jesus is your Savior. He wants for you not to have fear at the power, the awesomeness of who God is, but to have confidence in His love for you. Oh man, greatly beloved, don't, don't be afraid. Hear the words that I'm speaking to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, don't miss this, do not fear, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. From the moment that you started to pray, Daniel, I came. I was sent from heaven to help you out from the moment that you began to fast and pray. You humbled yourself. You were seeking to understand. You were seeking for God to answer. And from that moment, I was sent out. But wait a second. It's been 21 days. It's been three weeks. Where has Gabriel been? He'd asked for help. And all of this time, it takes him three weeks to show up. Have you ever wondered that? God, I need your answers now. I need to hear your voice now. I need to see an answer to the situation now. Where are you? Why aren't you showing up? What is going on, God? I don't understand why it takes so long. Sometimes it can be frustrating as we pray, prayer after prayer, and we wonder, does God even hear? What is taking place? What Daniel chapter 10 teaches us today is that prayer is a process in the great controversy. There are things that happen when you begin to pray from the very moment that you start praying, and you may not recognize it. But faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We walk by faith and not by sight. It's the assurance that God is at work, that He's a good God who hears your prayer, who answers your prayer, and that truly with God, a man is in the majority. Daniel, from the, the moment that you first spoke, I was sent out. I, I have come because of your words. This, this tells us that Gabriel would not have come to give this vision to Daniel if Daniel had not have prayed. Doesn't it? He says, I've come because of your words. Things happen in the great controversy. Things happen with angels because you pray. 
Did you realize that? That you have power with the throne of the universe that when you ask God for something, that He sends angels, powerful angels, to work in situations. There is power in prayer, my friends. And so often we forget about it and we begin to just go through our rounds of saying our prayers. So often I forget that there is so much power when I pray that the God of the universe hears and sends forth angels in answer to prayer. Verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Friends, we are in a great controversy. I think if our eyes were open to see the controversy that goes on between good and evil angels, we would be terrified. It would be more than we could handle. I think God has put a veil there so that we wouldn't be terrified by that. But here comes Gabriel, and he's coming to influence this situation. There's a problem with the the leadership in Persia. And we don't know for sure when it says the prince of the kingdom of Persia. There's two options here. One, it could be talking about prince as in, and many commentators believe this, it could be talking about a prince as in an evil angel who was assigned over the kingdom of Persia. It could be that Gabriel was wrestling back and forth with an an enemy, which is likely the case no matter if that's what the prince of Persia means, because Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. On a daily basis, the the political things that are going on, the, the things that are going on with your family, the things that are going on in your relationships, those things, there is a grander spiritual battle behind them all. And that's what Daniel chapter 10 reveals to us, that that there's a bigger picture. We've talked about how God showed up and that it was not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. They had confidence in the prophesying of of Zechariah and they went ahead and, and, and built this temple in faith. But this chapter gives us a picture of of what the Spirit of God is able to do in the great controversy in answer to prayer. This is the backstory to the building of that temple there in Jerusalem. He says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. The first option for that prince of Persia is that it's an evil angel. The second option is that Cyrus' son's name was Cambyses, and Cambyses was going to come to the throne, and he was going to reign for seven and a half years. Now, Cambyses, unlike his father, was not friendly to foreign cults, as they called them. He wouldn't be friendly to the nations that they had conquered, the religions of those kingdoms. He wasn't friendly to those religions. And so coming to power, Daniel may have recognized and been praying specifically about the fact that Cambyses was about to become king and he was going to reign. Daniel didn't know it at that point, but he was going to reign for seven and a half years. And God's people needed favor at this point in time. And so the angel comes to wrestle. Maybe it's with Cambyses. Maybe it's with Cyrus. Eventually it tells us that it's with all the kings there in Persia. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Look, Daniel, I'm sorry it took me so long. I'm sorry that it took me three weeks to come and answer your prayer and to to give you more understanding about what's going on, but I've been wrestling for three long weeks. There's been a battle going on. There is a spiritual war that is being raged. And as I was fighting this battle, I was left alone 
with the kings of Persia. I was battling for your people. I was trying to give them favor to convince the king that that they should have favor. But apparently, he was facing opposition. Apparently, there is a foe. Apparently, this foe withheld him and, and held him back for three whole weeks. But at the end of that three weeks, somebody shows up. And the text just tells us that it was Michael, the prince, the chief, chief prince, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So hold your finger here in Daniel chapter 10, and we're going to look quickly at who Michael is. You may have seen this before, but it's good to repeat and to recognize it because there's so much power and beauty in recognizing who Michael is, not only theologically, but who he is for you. Why this description is used of Michael. Go with me to Jude chapter 9. There's only a few places where we find the word Michael, the the name Michael used. It's only used in apocalyptic literature in these, these prophetic books like Daniel, Revelation, and also in the book of Jude. Jude chapter nine, uh, verse 9 says this, Yet Michael the archangel. What does this tell us? Who is Michael? Michael is the archangel. Okay, that's the definition there. Now, let's look at what he's doing as the archangel. Now, in Greek, archangel basically means the ruler over the angels. That doesn't necessarily even mean that Michael is an angel, uh, although maybe Michael's taking the form of an angel here. We don't know. But Michael is the archangel, meaning he's the ruler over the angels. Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, what is he doing? He's fighting with the devil. It's interesting that every time you see the name Michael, it's a controversy going on with the enemy. Every single time that the name Michael is used, you'll see this conflict going on. Michael, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about what? The body of Moses. You remember Moses, who was not allowed to enter the promised land because of his sin. God takes sin seriously. And there is a penalty to sin. And and we're told that God actually came down in the, the end of Moses' writings, and he actually buried Moses there. But here, he didn't leave him resting in the grave. When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So what do we learn from this verse? We learn a couple of things really quickly, right? We learn that Michael is the ruler of all the angels. And two, we learn that Michael has something to do with the resurrection of Moses. Is that clear from this verse? Now let's flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. Now in 1 Thessalonians, we won't find the name Michael used, but we will find that the archangel shows up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 says, For the Lord Himself, who is that? For Jesus Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the what? Voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Here we see that it's the voice of an archangel that raises the dead on the resurrection morning. And it's Jesus Himself who comes 
with the voice of an archangel. Is that clear here? So, when the archangel appears, you're finding in Jude 9 and here again that, that the archangel is the one who has the power to raise the dead. So, who has the power to raise the dead in the Bible? Go with me to John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, we find who God has given all authority for raising the dead to and, and who alone has those capabilities. John chapter 5, and we will start in verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who has, hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into, life, into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of who? The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. They'll hear the voice of an archangel. The voice of an archangel will raise them. The voice of the Son of God will raise the dead. It's the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself, and He has given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice, and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. All right, go back to Daniel chapter 10 with me. And here we can clearly see that Michael is the archangel. He's the ruler of the angels. And that Michael is the one who raises the dead. And the only one in the Bible who's given permission to raise the dead, the only one who comes back to raise the dead is who? Jesus. So why is this saying that, why use the term Michael? What is this all about? Well, throughout the Bible, you'll find all different types of titles given to Jesus. You'll find the title Emmanuel given to Jesus. You'll, throughout Isaiah, he's called the branch, which doesn't mean that he's a branch, does it? It means that he's the one that connects people to, to, to God for salvation. You'll find him called the morning star. There's so many different names for Jesus. And each of them brings out nuances of his power, of his glory, of his saving power in our lives. One of the biggest ones is that Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That doesn't mean that Jesus really is a lamb, but it means that he is our sacrifice for our sins. So here he's called Michael the archangel. In Daniel chapter 10, Gabriel gives this backstory, this picture to Daniel for some reason. Daniel, who's been given so many visions and seen so many of the beautiful pictures of what God is up to, is given this picture that here, he is wrestled for 21 days with the prince of Persia. And at the end of this wrestling, Gabriel is given help by Michael. Got to get to Daniel here. Back in verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for this vision refers to many days yet to come. 
Look at after all that Daniel sees in this. Look at what happens after he reveals this, this great controversy, this battle that's going on between Gabriel and the prince of Persia and how Michael has to show up this being that, that really Daniel has just seen a vision of, standing there by the river with blazing eyes of fire and lightning is his appearance and all of these glorious things. Here, after hearing all of this and realizing that it was Michael who had to step in to help in answering Daniel's prayer, verse 15, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. It was too much for Daniel to handle as he recognized the hugeness, the grandness of the great controversy. He fell on his face, a man totally undone recognizing that that there is so much more going on in this great controversy than we ever grasp with our, our frail eyes. Daniel recognizes the power of prayer. I love what it says in the book Education, page 304. It says, Not until the providences of God are seen in the light of eternity shall we understand that we owe to the care and in, what we Oh, to the care and interposition of his angels. Celestial beings have taken an active part in the affairs of men. Oftentimes, we don't grasp the great controversy that's going on. We don't grasp that there's a process in prayer that as we go to our knees in prayer, maybe we begin to fast and pray. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 21 that the reason that the disciples couldn't cast out that demon was because they had so little faith and this kind only comes out by fasting and prayer? There's power in humbling ourselves in seeking God. There's power in the great controversy. Something takes place in answer to fasting and prayer in a powerful way. It's interesting because the name Michael means who is like God. It's really a question. And you remember in Isaiah chapter 14 as it describes what happened to Lucifer. As Lucifer was, was there as this perfect being, he began to say something in his heart. His, his, he was puffed up because of his beauty and he began to say, I will ascend to the heights. I will go up onto the mount of the Lord. I will be like the Most High. And so when Jesus is introduced in Daniel chapter 9, He's introduced as the one whose name is Who is Like God. And every time that the name Michael appears, you see that Michael is fighting with the devil. He's really his own name is revealing the character of God in comparison to the character of Satan whose whole kingdom is based on ascending and making himself higher, filling himself with pride and trying to be the greatest. While Michael is revealing that the path of salvation, the path of God's kingdom, is a path of humbling yourself, of serving, the path of loving, the path of selflessness, the exact opposite of the kingdom of Satan. In Revelation chapter 12, when it describes the conflict between Jesus and Satan, it says that Michael, there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels waged war with the dragon and his angels. Since the beginning, when there was this controversy going on, it was Michael who fought the battle on behalf of his people. 
Michael is the warrior character of Jesus. It's the warrior description of Jesus' power and His glory. So when Daniel sees this vision of Jesus and all of His his power and His majesty with eyes like a flaming torch, and he sees He's just this muscular being with, with just He can describe it with the finest metals that He can think of. And His appearance is like flash of lightning. He goes on to describe Him as Michael. The one who's wrestling on his behalf and on the people's behalf. And God answered Daniel's prayers through this wrestling with Gabriel and Michael, fighting with the prince of Persia and the kings of Persia, because for the next ten years almost, there was peace in the realm of Judea, despite the fact that the Samaritans were trying to reverse the order that Cyrus had made. They continued to be able to have sway and to be able to to build their city in selected messages book two page 377 it says ministering angels are waiting about the throne to instantly obey the mandate of jesus christ to answer every prayer offered in earnest living faith friends there is power when you pray we wrestle not against flesh and blood there's a great controversy going on Sometimes we only recognize it in really difficult situations. This past week, something difficult happened here with our church. Something that we've recognized in it, a demonic force is at work in somebody's life. And last night, a few of us got together and we began to plead and to pray and to ask that God would work with power in this life. And I can't tell you that instantly I saw anything. But I can tell you that prayer is a process. And I can tell you that we felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. John and Nadine can tell you, shaking their heads, yes, they were saying this morning how refreshing it was to them to take that time in prayer. A bunch of us were fasting and praying together yesterday. There's, there's power in prayer. There's power in fasting and praying. And sometimes we don't recognize our need for it until a, a, a big emergency comes up. But this great controversy is winding up. Revelation tells us at the, at the end of chapter 12 that Satan has come down to this earth with great wrath, seeking to devour the remnant. He wants to take us out. He doesn't appreciate that you're following Jesus. He doesn't appreciate that you're wanting to keep the commandments of God. And he wants to crush you out. But as we fix our eyes on Jesus as we take time in fasting and prayer to seek Jesus. Now, fasting doesn't always have to be totally going without food and water like Moses did on Mount Sinai or like Jesus did in the wilderness. Fasting can be like Daniel did of just putting away some of those foods that make you not be able to think clearly. Fasting can be putting away Facebook that distracts you during the day for For three weeks, just like Daniel did. And during that time, saying, well, that time, I'm going to move that app out of the way so that I notice when I put my thumb there that there's a blank space. And instead of going to Facebook, I'm going to pray. Whatever it takes, fasting brings us to that level of earnestness, that level of fervency in prayer. Similar to how we'll kneel and close our eyes in prayer, But we can also talk to God just as we walk along and just our hearts are ascending to God. We can talk to God at any moment, but there's something special about kneeling in prayer because it 
focuses us. It, it points us more towards Jesus. And there's something about fasting and prayer that gives us a hunger for Jesus, a hunger for His power, and it clears our mind to be able to focus on the things that really matter in this great controversy. Daniel had prayed for three weeks straight and didn't know that something was happening, but God was answering his prayer and he did whatever it took, even coming down himself to wrestle with the prince of Persia. In the book, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, it says, Satan cannot endure to have his powerful rival appealed to, for he fears and trembles before his strength and majesty. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. Friends, there's power in prayer. Daniel realized it. People throughout history have realized that Jesus took time when he was here on earth aside to pray because there is power in the great controversy when we pray. Angels move in answer to our prayers. Are we in prayer? Are we really seriously in prayer as if we were in a battle? That's the question that I want to ask myself today. I want to know, am I living a life of prayer like Daniel was living? I, the, the coming verses after this in chapter 10 and chapter 11 are some of the most detailed prophecy in all of the Bible. It gives the details of who would rise and fall uh, throughout history. Actually, at the end of chapter 10, it once more mentions Michael and it calls him your prince. He's the one that's the prince on your behalf, Daniel. Then he launches into to history, starting with Alexander the Great and how Alexander the Great would come in. And it goes through history in much detail. And, and honestly, we are still in Daniel chapter 11 in Bible prophecy, towards the end of the chapter. And there's some detailed prophecy there that I encourage you to compare with history. But I want to go down to Daniel chapter 12 in verse 1. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, again, it's like bookends to this prophecy. As, as Daniel is seeing the, the sweep of history, he's seeing how kingdoms will come and kings will fight and kingdoms will be set up and kingdoms will be taken down and all of these things will happen. Things that Daniel had a close understanding of from his experience in serving kings. Then in verse 1, it says this, At that time after the king of the north is, disappears, comes to an end. At that time, Michael will stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. What is this talking about? Michael will stand up at that time. He stands for your people. That's good news, right? The great prince who stands over the, watch over the sons of your people. He's there on behalf of your people. And there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. In order to understand this a little bit better, let's jump back to Daniel chapter 7, and then we'll come back to Daniel chapter 12. In Daniel chapter 7, we find Daniel having another vision in verse 9 where he sees a judgment scene unfold. Daniel chapter, nine and verse, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9, it says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. 
A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand and ten thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. Hundreds of millions of angels there in the presence of the King of Kings. And those, my friends, are the angels that you have access to through the name of Jesus in prayer. Those are the angels that as you pray for situations, as you pray for your child who you recognize the attack of the enemy in his life, that angels come to work in their lives. Angels surrounding them. But then it goes on to say this, the court was seated and the books were opened. This is a judgment scene. And throughout the Bible, there's a a record of books in heaven where the names of those who confess and believe in God are recorded and also where sins are recorded. Now, interestingly enough, we talked earlier about how the most important thing Jesus told us in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 that I give you authority over demons and snakes and all these different things, but don't rejoice that the demons respond to your authority. Rejoice that your name is written in the book in heaven. Even more than this great controversy with angels, fix your eyes on having your name recorded in that book by the merits of Jesus Christ. Here, the courts are seated. They, they sit down and they begin to pour over these books that have the record of God's people, that have the record of sins that have not been blotted out. Acts chapter 3 says that we should confess our sins so that our sins can be blotted out. Here, they're sitting down and they're, they're reading through these books. And then go on in verse 13. It says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. In 1844, this was misinterpreted to believe that Jesus was coming back. But He's coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. Then to Him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This, my friends, is a picture of the beginning of the investigative judgment. This began in 1844. Daniel 8.14 tells us, "...unto 2300 days, and then the sanctuary shall be cleansed." Here, Jesus is coming before His Father, and He's coming as your Prince. He's coming as your Advocate. He's coming as the one who wrestles with the adversary. The adversary is the one who condemns you. The adversary, Satan, is the one who seeks to accuse you of all the things that you've done in your life. And Jesus is there with those books before the watching universe. And as He goes through those books and as your name is read off, as they look at the record next to your name, there appears something there. If you have confessed your sins and you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior, you're trusting in Michael the archangel who alone is able to raise the dead, if you're trusting in Jesus, it's Jesus' works that appear there next to your name. It's not your works that appear, but it's Jesus' righteousness that is apparent there in the books of heaven. It's Jesus and what Jesus has done in your life and how Jesus has clothed you with His righteousness. And so, over in verse 1 of chapter 12, when it says, at that time Michael shall stand up, Jesus is standing up. His work is finished in defending you with those books. And as He stands up, 
He's no longer interceding for mercy to prevail on this planet. He's no longer asking that this planet should be shielded by His grace from the results of the sins that we have committed. And as He stands up, the great Prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. This planet will be plunged into a dark time as the Spirit of God is withdrawn from those who have rejected Jesus. But friends, you don't need to be afraid of that time. Because what do the very next words say? At that time, what time? In that time of trouble, at that time, your people will be delivered. If you are trusting in the King of Kings, if you're trusting in Jesus, the One who contends with the devil, if you are trusting in Jesus, He is coming to deliver you. And in the time of trouble, He will stand up for you. He stands up to take the kingdom and to come back to raise the dead and to bring you a brand new body to take you to heaven to be with Him. Everyone who is found written in the book, those whose names weren't blotted out of that book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Again, we see Michael is the one who stands up for the purpose of resurrection. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What a day that will be when Michael stands up to deliver you. His purpose is to come back for you. He wants for you to be trusting in Him, to be having faith in Him, to be confessing your sins so that He can wash you clean and pure with His righteous blood so that you can live forever and ever in His presence. So you can shine like the stars forever and so that you can bring many others to experience that joyful eternity. John Knox didn't want to be a preacher. He actually had to be convinced. He'd had the training all through his, his university experience, but then he went on to be a notary and to, to work in various uh, other fields. But at one point, because of his fiery personality, he's a, a fiery Scot, he was assigned to be the bodyguard of Wishart. Now, Wishart was a preacher of the Protestant Reformation. Wishart was preaching against the Catholic dogma that, that the Bible shouldn't be read by the common person and that, that salvation was partially from grace and partially from works. He was preaching against all of these things. And the Queen of, Eng uh, the Queen of Scotland at that time, Queen Elizabeth, got very upset with him. And Wishart was actually condemned to prison, even though John Knox was his bodyguard. He wasn't able to defend him. He was condemned to prison and was eventually condemned to be burned at the stake. Great Controversy says that it was out of the ashes of Wishart being burned at the stake that we came to this fiery preacher named John Knox who said that a man with God is always in the majority. John Knox knew this principle in the Great Controversy that when we come to God in prayer, that things happen in the Great Controversy, that angels fly, that the, 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 the mighty angel Gabriel will come, that, that Michael himself will come in answer to prayer. And as John Knox began to pray, he began to pray some radical prayers. John Knox is most famous for his prayer 
which he prayed day in and day out. He said, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I die. He was unwilling to yield in this great controversy and he was pleading, wrestling with God saying, would you please give me souls in this great controversy? And as he prayed this day in and day out, he ended up in prison because he confronted Queen Elizabeth and she had put him in the, to be a galley slave. And he nearly died, but as he was there, he suddenly revived and he committed to God that if he was set free, that he would again begin to preach. Finally, he escaped from being a galley slave and he began to preach again. And he even confronted Queen Elizabeth time and time again, confronting the Catholic religion and saying, look, we've got to get back to the Bible and the Bible only. Give me Scotland or I die. One night, he and a group of others went to the garden to pray. And as they were there in the garden praying, suddenly in the midst of that prayer time, John Knox got up and he said, we have the answer. We have the victory. Nobody knew what he was talking about. They still were facing the same challenges they believed. But the next morning, the news came that Queen Elizabeth had died. And at this point, Sorry, it's actually Queen Mary. Queen Mary had died. And at this point, the Protestant religion began to spread in an uncontrollable way. And before long, Scotland was able to become a Protestant nation. If it wasn't for the prayers that John Knox was praying, what would have happened? In the book, Gospel Workers, it talks about this. Actually, the book Evangelism, page 294 It says, if we have the interest that John Knox had when he pleaded before God for Scotland, we will have success. If we have that earnestness that John Knox had, that earnestness that Daniel had in mourning and fasting and praying, in earnestly asking that God would move heaven in our behalf, we will have success. He cried, give me Scotland or I die. And when we take hold of the work and wrestle with God saying, I must have souls, I will never give up the struggle, we shall find that God will look upon our efforts with favor. There's power in prayer. There's power in the great controversy. And there's power in earnest prayer. And those who bring the many to righteousness, Daniel chapter 12 tells us, will shine like the stars forever and ever. Are we a people of prayer? Is this church a church of prayer? Are we John Knox's? Are we wrestling in prayer for the salvation of our kids, for the salvation of our spouses, for the salvation of our neighbors? Do we truly believe with John Knox that a man with God is always in the majority? Do we truly believe that in this great controversy that angels fly in answer to our prayers? If we did, I think we would be a lot quicker to come together to pray. If I really believe this, I think I would be first on my knees when I face a problem rather than trying to figure out what I can do to to solve that problem. Friends, prayer is a process. You may have prayed for years and years for a family member. You may have prayed for years and years for a job situation. Whatever you may be going through, you may feel like God hasn't been answering. But remember, Daniel, as he was praying, he didn't recognize what was happening, but Gabriel was wrestling 
throughout that, from the very moment he started to pray, Gabriel came. And then finally, Michael came. As you pray, angels are flying, things are happening. God is working in this great controversy. Keep on praying without ceasing, because Jesus is the one who contends with him who contends with you. Jesus is your advocate. And one of these days soon, he's going to stand up and he's going to come back to deliver you, to take you home, to be with him forever. Today, I just want to make a deeper commitment myself to taking time to pray. I want to take a deeper commitment myself to taking times for fasting and prayer because this is our power in the great controversy. The sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. You want to join me in praying that prayer? Not give me Scotland or I die, but give me Templeton or I die. Give me Atascadero or I die. Give me North County or I die. Give me California or I die. Give me the United States or I die. Friends, when you pray for our president, when you pray for our government, when you pray, the universe moves in answer to that prayer because of the grace of Jesus Christ. There is power in prayer. So I want to invite you. Join us on Wednesday night if you have the opportunity from 7 to 8 o'clock. There's power when we come to pray. Join us on Sabbath mornings at 8.15 as we come here to pray over this church to ask that the presence of the Holy Spirit would be here. Join your family on a daily basis. Pull them together to pray. There is power when we fast and we pray and we seek God's power in our lives. If it's your desire to take more time in prayer, I just want to invite you to raise your hand to heaven as we pray together. Father in heaven, you see our hands raised. Lord, we are weak and frail, and so often I forget to pray, or I feel like there's not the power that I want to see in answer to prayer. Lord, forgive my unbelief. Forgive me for looking with physical eyes and only seeing the, the flesh and blood experiences around me and not recognizing that I'm wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Oh, Father, give us a heart to wrestle in prayer. Give us a heart to be here for prayer meeting. Give us a heart to join together in prayer groups. Give us a heart to fast and to pray, believing that Michael will stand up for us, that Michael will be our deliverer, that he will contend with him who contends with us. Thank you, Father, so much for your saving power in our lives. Thank you for the power of prayer that you've given to us. Help us to cling to it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.